0: Well, we, we have come now to the end of our study through the book of Philippians, so if you have your Bible in front of you, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10 to the end. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have uh, a couple of copies over there on the table. You can feel free to take one uh, and use it during the service and also take it with you uh, as our gift to you. Uh, that would be a tremendous encouragement to us to know that you would take a Bible and read it. So, if you don't have one, feel free to take one. Um, if you have your Bible in front of you, Philippians 4, verse 10, let me read the word of the Lord. You can follow along as I read. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you and all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. Would you pray with me briefly one more time? Oh, Lord, we come hungry and thirsty to know again true food and true drink in the person of Christ. So we pray now that as your word is proclaimed, uh, our hearts would be lifted up, that we would see Christ. Lord, help us to see wonderful things in your law. Help us Help us to to eat and drink of your goodness and of your kindness to us. As your word is preached, that we might be nourished and fed and strengthened. Do this all for your name and for the glory of your son. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, Benjamin Franklin famously asked... This is actually, I think, the second time I'm quoting Benjamin Franklin in the series. I don't know why, but Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, he famously asked, Who is rich? Answer, he that is content. Who is that? Nobody. Praise God that's not true. Paul is an example of that. But that question does illustrate a reality that we all experientially know. And that is that contentment is one of the most elusive conditions of the soul. Isn't it? That contentment is one of the most elusive conditions of the soul. Would you describe your inner heart life as one of persistent contentment? When you think about even people that you know, especially here in the West, in the Northeast, how many people in your life would you describe as truly content in their lives regardless of the circumstances? discontent in the West is as as common as back pain, right? We all have a little bit of it, right? I have to confess that, that my thinking on our passage this morning has been significantly shaped by a book that I think is probably the most thorough treatment of Christian contentment. It's a book by an old Puritan, Jeremiah Burroughs, called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And you hear it there in the title, it's a rare jewel, To know contentment. A rare jewel. It's rare, isn't it? In the world and in our own souls. As Paul brings his letter to a close, he takes one last chance to recognize the generosity of the Philippians and the gift that they have given to him by Epaphroditus while he was in prison. And in doing so, he uses it as an opportunity for one final gospel exhortation. You know, from start to finish, Paul's letter to the Philippians has been an exhortation for them to continue making progress in the faith by increasingly shaping their life after the gospel. And now here in our passage, he puts forward his example and the promise of God's faithful, faithfulness as an exhortation to be and to live content in Christ. To live content in Christ. What are we talking about when we talk about contentment? What is contentment? The the author of the book I just mentioned, Jeremiah Burroughs, defines it this way. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly purposes in every condition. I'll say it again. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit Which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly purposes in every condition. Another puts it this way contentment is the willing submission of ours to God's will in all conditions. And the Apostle Paul puts it this way I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Abundance and need. What is Paul saying? He's saying he has learned in the best of times and in the worst of times to be at rest in God's purposes and in his faithfulness. Have you learned that? Paul says he learned the secret. Have you learned the secret of contentment? As a Christian, have you learned contentment in Christ? If we're honest, contentment is a soul condition that that we haven't quite learned and that often escapes us. Paul tells us here how we might learn it and live our lives content in Christ. So two things you need to see this morning, I want you to see here in the text, I want you to see the secret of contentment and I want you to see the source of contentment. The secret and the source. So we'll look at the secret first. Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content." And then follows that by saying, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now that word secret, it's it's a unique word that's used only here in the entire Bible. And uh, it it means something like to learn a mystery. To learn a mystery. Now, he he doesn't mean mystery as in putting clues together to, to solve a crime. It's more like to learn the trick. Or... The special hidden technique of a thing. Um, solving a Rubik's Cube comes to mind. There's a, there's a mystery to it. A special hidden technique. There's a, there's a secret technique that, that you need to know in order to solve it. And, and the person watching, I don't know, you know, if you've ever watched some genius you know, try and solve a Rubik's Cube and you stand there and you just it's like a mystery. You're like, what is happening? You know, they're just spinning this thing, and then all of a sudden, all the sides match. And it's a mystery, and you can't make sense of it. But to the one who knows the special technique, it makes perfect sense. And, and so it is with contentment. There's a, there's a secret to it. There's a, there's a mystery that Paul says he had to learn. And, and I want to try and explain to you what I think Paul means. Uh, consider first the mystery of actually being content in Christ. The this, this secret. Consider the mystery of being content in Christ. It's counterintuitive. The Rubik's Cube is counterintuitive too, by the way. You, know, you, you have to move colors like away from one another to actually move them closer. There's a, counterintuitive to it, a counterintuitiveness to it. Uh, the mystery of actually being content in Christ is mysterious. Why? Here's why it's mysterious. Because the most content person, the Christian, the most content person is at the very same time the least content person in all the world. The most content person is at the very same time the least content person in all the world. What do I mean by that? The true Christian is able to be satisfied with very little. Christians are among all the most content. They're able to be satisfied with very little. They they don't need a luxurious home. They don't need expensive clothes or exquisite foods or or an extravagant lifestyle. Paul writes, we read earlier in the, the service, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Christians are among the most content. Yet at the very same time, the Christian will only be content if he has the most costly, the most extravagant, and the most beautiful thing of all, God himself. He is at the same time the most content and the least content of all people in the world. You see, the surprise or the mystery of Christian contentment is not merely that you learn to be satisfied with less, but that you recognize that you are made by God for something infinitely more satisfying and more pleasurable than any delicacy this world has to offer, that you are made for union with God himself, and that you can be content with nothing less than fellowship with him. Jeremiah Burroughs puts it this way. He says, the soul that is capable of God can be filled by nothing else but God. The soul that is capable of God can be filled with nothing else but God. And you probably know this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis talks about our desires, right? And you can think about it this way, right? He, well, let me read you the quote. C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And you could think about that quote. You can think about it this way. We are not discontent Because our desires are too strong, we are discontent because we don't realize how strong our desires actually are, and they will only be filled when they rest in the thing that they were made for, which is God himself. You see, if God will graciously grant you contentment this morning, nothing less than giving us himself will do. But, oh, brothers and sisters, when when through faith in Christ you come to possess the most glorious treasure of all, When you come to know God by faith in Christ, a relationship with God, you can eat scraps, you can live in a cardboard box, you can walk around in rags and still be content because you have him. Christians are above all the most content and yet least content because they know, I will only be satisfied with Christ. A poor man with a little and grace has infinitely more than the man who has all the riches of the world. So you see, the Christian is most content because he needs very little in the world, but he is the least content because he knows he will only be satisfied when he has Christ himself. But consider also the mystery of actually pursuing contentment in this life. Remember what I'm saying to you. Contentment is a mystery. It's kind of like the way up is down. Consider pursuing contentment, the mystery of pursuing contentment in this life. discontent is not unique to Christians. Everyone knows the feeling of discontent, and yet consider what the world tells you. And if you're honest, what your heart often tells you about how to resolve that discontentment. The world says you're discontent because there are things you want but don't have. Your heart says you will be finally happy if you get your dream house. If you go on your dream vacation, if you have your dream physique, if you marry your dream husband or wife, if you work at your dream job, and so on, what's the solution? The world and our heart whispers to us, work hard to acquire things, and then you will be happy. Then you will be content. Then you will be at rest. But true contentment, true contentment comes not when you work to acquire more, but when you learn to be content with less. It's a mystery. It's a little flick of the wrist. The world says true contentment comes when you learn to love yourself. Once you are self-satisfied and you have enough self-esteem, then you can be content in life. Here's one modern definition of contentment I found uh, in my study this week. Uh, One modern definition read this way. Uh, Contentment is a deep-seated sense of accepting who you are. But the mystery of true contentment isn't that it comes with self-satisfaction, but with self-denial. It comes when I realize that, that in and of myself, I am nothing. I'm worse than nothing. I deserve nothing. I can do nothing. I should not receive anything good. If I were to perish, it would be no loss for the world. And yet, by God's sheer grace in Christ, I am God's child. I have been given all. I am able in Christ to do all. I stand to receive all. And when I perish, I will gain all. It's in knowing I am nothing, but that in Christ, he has made me his own child that I can, be, that I can rest content. The world and our hearts say the way to contentment is to try and shed as many of the burdens as you are carrying as possible, to be free But true contentment actually comes when you lay on yourself more burden. Huh? True contentment comes when you actually lay on yourself more. Indeed, the the heaviest burden, the burden of sin. Here's what I mean. Think of the last time you felt sharp, acute discontentment. Think about the last time you felt sharp, acute discontentment. I don't make enough money. I, I can't get pregnant. I can't find a spouse. I can't stand my boss. I'm spread too thin in my schedule. Discontent. Things need to be different. I'm not satisfied. I can't rest. These things need to change. Do you know what would help you be content in those moments? Do you know what would help you to be content in those moments? If you felt, if if in a a moment you felt again in a new way, in a fresh way, the weight of your sin. If you felt. Again, in a renewed way, that you are the worst kind of criminal in the universe because you have violated the kind and benevolent commands of God and that what you deserve because of your life of rebellion against God is an eternity of conscious torment in hell, but that God has done everything in Jesus to forgive those sins so that you no longer have to fear his judgment. If that came to rest upon you in a powerful way, you would rest content, even amidst all of those uncertainties and all of those anxieties. That would stir up in you a contentment, a reminder again that you are safe in Christ and that no matter what happens, heaven is coming and glory is coming. You'll find yourself asking, when you think about your own condition and who you are apart from Christ, you'll find yourself asking, how has anything good or anything pleasurable ever happened to me at all? And you'll begin to receive everything with thanksgiving. And and you'll begin to receive things with gratitude. When you encounter hardship, trial, suffering, the world and our own hearts scream at us to claw for any way to get rid of that suffering. Yet true contentment comes ultimately not by frantically trying to relieve that suffering, but by humbly embracing our suffering as from God and seeking his wise and good purposes for us in it. You see, it's a mystery. It's counterintuitive. The world and our hearts say, run away. Do everything you can to fight against suffering. And yet in Christ, the scriptures call us to, to lean into our suffering. To receive it as from God. To receive it as the kind working of God in our lives to bring about our sanctification, to bring about our holiness, to bring about his kind purposes in our lives. It's counterintuitive. It's mysterious. When our stress begins to rise and our minds are filled with chaos, the world would have us bring something from the outside in to soothe our souls, to soothe and calm the storm inside, right? A TV show, a shopping trip, a food, a glass of wine, a weekend getaway. None of these things inherently wrong. And yet when we look to them as the thing to give us rest in our souls, they become an idol. When you're overwhelmed, what do you look to in order to calm the raging sea that's churning inside you? A true contentment comes not when we bring something from the outside in, but when we purge our sinful and disordered desires from inside as we meditate on Christ. I'm stressed because my bank account is dwindling. Should should I look first to see if I can pick up more hours? Or should I look first to see if I'm misplacing my sense of security in money rather than God's faithfulness? See, Instead of bringing something in, we, we ought to purge sinful desires and disordered desires out by looking again to Christ. True contentment comes to the restless heart, not by soothing it with the world, but by reminding it of the peace that we have with God and Christ. Consider finally that in our discontent, the world in our hearts would have us fix it now. In our discontent, the world in our hearts say, it needs to be fixed now. It needs to be done. We need to, have, we need to have it all resolved right now. We must labor to be satisfied now. Whatever the problem is, it needs to be fixed now. But true contentment, contentment comes When we allow our unfulfilled desires to stir in us a longing for a coming day. When we allow our unmet desires and longings to stir in us a a recognition that a day is coming when all we will know is the full satisfaction of our hearts in the glorious presence of our Savior. True contentment does not depend on immediate gratification, on instant gratification, but rests in the delayed gratification of God's fulfilled promises to us in heaven. The state of contentment is mysterious and the actual pursuit of contentment is mysterious. The way up is down. It's not self-satisfaction, it's self-denial. It's not less burden, it's, it's more burden, relieved by Jesus. It's not panicked resistance to suffering, but humble embrace of suffering, knowing God's kind purposes. It's not instant gratification, but patient waiting for the fulfillment of God's promises. And consider lastly, The mystery of the labor of contentment. Okay, So I'm telling you that the state of contentment is mysterious. The pursuit of it is mysterious. There's a secret to it. And now the labor of contentment. It's not automatic. Did you see there in the text, Paul has to learn it. There is a sense in which we must strive and labor for the kind of contentment I'm describing. Paul says this. Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, you, you, you must labor to be content in Christ. And yet your laboring is always through him who gives you strength. If you will be content, you must work from a place of rest in Christ's strength to work in you. See, It's a mystery. It's a secret. If you would work, if you would labor to be content, and you must labor. I'm not saying, hey, just sit on your butt and wait to be content. No, we must labor and strive to be content. But if you will strive and labor to be content, you must labor from a place of rest in Christ's work in you. Paul says these words earlier in his letter, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. pleasure." And Paul says elsewhere, I toil with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. See, the mystery of Christian contentment is that in order for you to work for it, you must rest in Christ's strength to work in you. Paul says, I have learned the secret. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's, it's active, real effort, empowered and sustained by Christ's strength at work in you. Now, real briefly, what are the all things? I feel like I have to take a little parenthesis here, a little side. This is one of the most twisted and abused verses in the scriptures. Uh, and, I, you know, is Paul saying here, you know, I can win the championship through Christ who strengthens me. Is he saying, I can become a famous celebrity through Christ who strengthens me? Is is he saying, I can get the promotion through Christ who strengthens me? Uh, No, this this is not Paul's like, rah, rah, you can do anything you put your your mind to with Jesus' help. That's, that's That's not what Paul's point is. Paul's point is that there are infinite resources in Jesus to face every circumstance with that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly purposes in every condition. It's not the rah-rah, you can go be anything and do anything you want. It's how am I gonna trust Jesus? How am I gonna rest in God's purposes and his promises today? when you look again at Christ and he strengthens you to know the goodness and and, and kindness and faithfulness of God to you, then you can rest content in him in every single circumstance because you know his goodness, because you've seen it in Christ. Because of Christ, you can be content in every situation, no matter what is happening. Paul says, I've learned the secret, the mystery of contentment. But now if, if, if you really want to live contentedly, you have to, not know, you have to know not only the secret of it, but the source of it. That's the secret of contentment. It's, it's a mystery. It's a, it's, a, it's a special technique. The way up is down. It's a flick of the wrist. It's, a, it's not obvious. It's counterintuitive. But you also need to know the source of contentment. Paul begins his closing remarks by saying, I rejoiced in the Lord. What was he rejoicing in the Lord about? In short, we're focusing on contentment. There's a lot of other things in there. In short, here's what's happening. Paul, uh, the Philippians had kindly and abundantly supplied Paul with provisions while he was in prison. We talked about this in earlier um, sermons uh, that largely when you're in prison, in a Roman prison, you rely heavily on family and friends to supply your needs. You know, you're in a cell, but. But your regular basic necessities need to be provided to you by friends and family. And the Philippians had taken up the, the burden and responsibility of providing for Paul. They had sent gifts with Epaphroditus to him in Rome. And so he's recognizing again their, their provision. And then he launches into this discussion of contentment as if to say, I didn't need your gifts to be content. I didn't need your gifts to be content, but I am thankful for the kindness you've showed to me on this occasion and over the years, and especially for the true spiritual fruit it demonstrates in your life. And then he joins to his comment a promise. He joins to his comment as he's recognizing them. Thank you. Even in Thessalonica, you provided for me and not, no one else entered into partnership with me, but you did. But I wasn't wasn't seeking the gift itself. I was seeking the the, the fruit that is to your credit and then a promise. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And there it is. That's the source of contentment. It's it's, it's, It's as if Paul is saying, here's an example. Paul has supplied all my needs. He's used you to do it. And I'm resting content in the God who is faithful and he will also supply all your needs so you can be content." That's the source of contentment. It's the faithfulness of God to always supply every need of his people according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, without question, Paul means for them to rest in the reality that every single need that they have in their lives will be provided to them by God. And undoubtedly, there is a sense in which our contentment flows from knowing that God cares about even the smallest details of our lives. All of of the needs that you have In every moment of your life, God cares about those small details of food and clothing. Do you remember what Jesus says about food and clothing to his disciples? He he says, don't worry about those things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. There is a sense in which we can rest content in knowing that God cares for and will supply all of our little needs. He, he, he knows all the small details of our lives and knows all the little needs. And, and yet you need to understand something. True and lasting contentment flows not primarily from knowing that your earthly needs will be provided, but by knowing that God in Christ has met your greatest and most dire need for the forgiveness of sins and for reconciliation with God. True contentment flows not primarily from knowing that your earthly needs will be taken care of. There is a sense we rest. God knows our needs he'll provide. True contentment rests most foundationally, most basically on knowing that God has met your greatest and most dire need. Your greatest and most dire need is not for food in your belly. Do you know that? Your greatest and most, is, and, your, and most dire need is not for a nap. It's not for rest. It's not for a vacation. It's not for a new wardrobe. Your greatest and most dire need is for the forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation with God, for the hope of eternal life. That's your greatest and, 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 and most dire need. And this knowing that God has met that need, that is, how, that is the, the source, the fountainhead of true contentment. There is one need that rises above all the rest. A true contentment flows from knowing that this is your greatest need, that forgiveness of sins is your greatest need and that God has made full provision for that need in Christ. Therefore, you can be sure he will not fail to supply all your lesser needs until he calls you home. Brothers and sisters, this is the source of true contentment, that that while you were rejecting God, that while you were hating him and walking in open rebellion against him, constantly sinning against him, going your own way, which was a way of eternal destruction, he saw you in your poor and miserable state and he looked upon you with mercy. You were deserving of nothing And yet he sent Jesus Christ into the world. And do you know who he is? Brothers and sisters, do you know who he is? Do do, do you know that for all eternity, the Son of God has been perfectly content and absolutely satisfied in the loving fellowship that exists between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Perfectly content perfectly, he had no needs, no unfulfilled longings, no inner soul unhappiness. You know, A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says, need is a creature word. Need is a creature word. And the Son of God is no creature, but the eternal God who has all his sufficiency in himself and therefore has no need, no discontentment. The Son of God, Has everything, all riches, all power, all glory. But he sets it aside. He he lays it aside and he takes to himself a life of need, a life of dependence, a life of longing, a life of unmet wants. He, He lives a life without place or possession. Your foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to rest his head. And yet never a discontented heart, never a complaint, never a grumble against God's will for him. Instead, he trusts his Father to meet all his needs every step of the way for bread amidst crowds of thousands for rest in the raging waters, for shelter in the homes of his disciples, his life was characterized by that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly purposes in every condition. His was a willing submission to God's will in every condition. And you know where we see that most acutely? You know where we see that most finely? is when Jesus comes to the garden. The garden of Gethsemane. Even on the very night that every comfort was to be taken from him and all his friends were to abandon him, when he laid prostrate in the garden and the Father held out the awful cup of his will to his son, he freely submitted to it saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. A willing submission to God's purposes in every condition. When all the chips were down and Jesus saw in that cup what it would take to pay for the sins of his people, he contented himself in the wise purposes of his father. He he didn't claw to change it. He didn't fight to get rid of the burden placed on him by the Father. No, he, he willingly took on the burden of sin. He contented himself with receiving the judgment for sin so that you could rest content in receiving the blessings of God for his obedience. And in taking that burden and in taking your place, the Son of God became nothing. He became worse than nothing. He became the object of God's hatred for sin. And though he had all power to stop it, he did nothing. He was silent, like a lamb before its shearers is silent. But now look at this. You know, Jesus, Jesus is the most content and the least content man to ever exist. Here's why. Because we see a picture of his perfect contentment in the garden. Though he is writhing, agonizing, sweats of uh, drops of blood coming from his brow as he sees what, what it will cost in order for him to reconcile his people, though he is at rest contented in the will of his Father. And yet, do you see what happens on the cross? Do you know what he says on the cross? He says... I thirst. Remember, Jesus says that on the cross? He says, I thirst. Thirsting is the language of unmet longing. Thirsting is the language of unfulfilled desire, of discontentment. For all of Jesus' life, he had known perfect contentment in every circumstance because he had what the human heart longs for and needs perfect fellowship with the Father. He had it in full. He had perfect rest, perfect contentment in knowing the goodness and kindness of the Father. But on the cross, you know what happens on the cross? On the cross, he loses it. It's stripped from him. He, he loses the satisfaction of the soul. On the cross, he, he takes into his heart an eternal discontentment because he loses the love of his Father and becomes the object of his righteous wrath. Do you ever notice this? In the garden, he prays, Father, not my will, but yours be done. But do you know what he says on the cross? Does he say, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? No, he says, my God, my God, why? Why, my God, my God, because he lost the father, the father. What he now received was wrath from the father, was, was judgment from the father. He lost the Father and the deep satisfaction of soul that goes with knowing Him. And why? So that you could have Him forever. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Right? Is, is Paul talking about physical poverty? Did did Jesus become physically poor so you could become physically rich? No. He takes on the immense eternal poverty of soul on the cross as he is crucified and crushed into dust so that you might have fullness and richness of soul in knowing God in being reconciled to God. He, he bore the eternal longing and discontent of the soul so that you could know the eternal fulfillment of contentment and fellowship with God. And brothers and sisters, having risen from the dead, he calls out now to every discontented, every unsatisfied, every longing soul and says, look to me in faith and find perhaps for the first time true contentment through the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. If you're here this morning and you have not yet trusted Christ, you know, I don't even, I don't have to persuade you of this. You know that in your life, everything that you have tried to satisfy the longing in your heart has come up short. And yet Christ, the crucified and risen Savior calls out to all who have thirst, who hunger, who, who know their so longing and says, come to me, come fi- find true bread and true drink. So look, do, do you see what Paul is saying about the Philippians' contentment when he says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying something like what he says in Romans 8. Do you remember this verse, Romans eight thirty one? He says, well, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, when you know you deserve nothing because of your sin, and then you see God graciously meeting the greatest need that you have for the forgiveness of sin, you are strengthened in Christ to know that he will never abandon you or fail you. He will never leave nor forsake you. He he, he will never fail to keep his promises. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What happens in a heart when you know? Listen, listen to me. What happens in a heart? What happens in your heart when you know because of Christ that he is yours and you are his forever? Jeremiah Burroughs uses his little uh, illustration of a grasshopper. And he says, well, you know, the grasshopper eats. And, and how? What does the grasshopper eat? You ever see the grasshopper on the little blade of grass eating the little dew The, the on the blade of grass? Getting, sucking nutrients out of the little dew drops on the grass. He says, that's what Christians are like. Where does the gra- where does the grasshopper feed? Where does the grasshopper get its n- nutrients? It gets it from the dew. And And he relates it to the way in which Christians... Uh, know the blessing of God? Where, where are they fed? The world looks in and says, the world's on fire. Everything's, you know, crazy. And how, how, how can Christians be content and at rest? Because they know the dew of God's blessing. Because they have resources. Because they, they know the goodness and kindness of the blessings of God. And when you know and live in the gospel sunlight of His blessing... You can be content in every circumstances because in the gospel, you have come to enjoy God's love. You, you know God's love. You know his acceptance, his delight, his embrace, his approval. You know God's purposes. Look, in the gospel tells you what God's purposes are for you in suffering. Listen, you know because of the gospel that whatever you face, whatever suffering you face, it cannot be because God doesn't love you or is trying to hurt you. And so in those circumstances, you can rest content. You may not know what those reasons are, but you can rest content. The gospel tells you that God's designs for you are good. God's designs for you are love. You can rest in God's grace. Right? You, you, you rest in the, in the fact that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, that, that you didn't earn it, that, it, that it's his strength in it that, that keeps you. And because you didn't earn it and you don't preserve yourselves, you can't lose it. But it's God who strengthens you and sustains you. You know by the gospel, uh, you're able to trust in God's righteousness. You know that what you have in him, you can never lose. It can never be taken away from you. Isn't that the source of discontentment in the world? That even as soon as you think you have the thing that will satisfy you, that it can be stripped away in a moment. And yet God's righteousness in Christ tells us that what you have in Christ can never be stripped from you. Because you have it on the basis of Christ's finished work. You have hope in God's promises, right? You know that everything he does, that everything he does is is for your good. And and even the the unmet longings in this life, and and also even the, the, the longings that are met in this life are just minuscule reflections of the internal inheritance that is coming to you. And even the things that you lack are gracious reminders that a day is coming when those longings will finally be fulfilled and all those unmet desires will be fulfilled when you see Christ face to face. If you know and live in the light of those gospel truths, nothing can take away your contentment. He who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. This is C.S. Lewis again. He's met your greatest need in Christ. Brothers and sisters, can you hear these words again? He's met your greatest need in Christ. Therefore, you can trust him to meet every other need until he calls you home and you can rest content in every circumstance for the glory of his name. You know his goodness. You know his faithfulness. Because of the salvation we have in Christ, we can sing in every circumstance. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Brothers and sisters, what's the application? Content yourselves in Christ. Content yourselves in Christ. God has seen your need and He has met it in Christ. And therefore, whatever happens to you, happens to you by the kind and gracious and good hand of God. And He will bring you safely home to glory. Let's pray. Lord, we pray indeed that you would help us to rest content in you. There are so many things that would threaten our contentment, so many things that would cause us to doubt and to begin to panic and fret. But Lord, we know that you have done all that is necessary in Christ to make us your own. You have met our greatest need for the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, we can rest content. Therefore, we can be at peace. Therefore, we can know this inward, gracious, quiet frame of spirit that trusts you in every condition, your wise and fatherly purposes in our lives. So Lord, help us to rest in in Christ. And as we rest and as we content ourselves in Christ and the world looks on and sees us trusting in something beyond this world, may we be quick to point to you and to point to your work in Jesus and commend to them the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for this time in your word and pray that you would be honored now in the rest of our service. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.